for one last story do you, do you want to talk about maybe the toda story so i don't know i am not good at remembering any specific instance in the stories but uh, with the toda story again it was uh, it was a story of how uh, this uh, local indigenous community which has been in the neelgiris for uh, several years how they think their lands that they have held how they should be managed mm-hmm. and how they have they feel at least that they have traditionally managed it in harmony with nature because they preserve these high altitude grasses so uh, it's a bit hard to explain is we're going to too much detail but but here's the thing what people think of oti for instance when as an average tourist when you go to oti mm-hmm. you think of it as this you know uh, this sort of hill station with this uh, lake in the middle which was this random lake that a british uh, official made for no reason mm-hmm. then you think of this uh, you think of these pine forests which are not natural to the region mm-hmm. and, and what people don't realize is that actually uti was this huge mountain range the nilgiris was this huge mountain range where the high altitude areas above 1000 meters were filled with these huge rolling grasslands okay. uh, and the arrival of the british completely transformed that ecosystem mm-hmm. these grasslands and uti had these nilgiri mountains had like this sort of clear delineation between different indigenous tribes mm-hmm. so you had uh, toda the toda tribe typically stuck to the high altitudes where the grasslands mm-hmm. were they were kind of a pastoralist tribe they had their own indigenous a uh, variety of buffalo which is considered now um, a complete it, it, i think they they consider it or they think it could be a it could be a separate species of buffalo from what we see generally in the rest of india right okay so there is this traditional pastoral community which maintain this very natural very unique high altitude grassland okay you don't see grasslands there that much anymore this is a thing in very few parts of the western parts Okay. And these grasslands have their own ecosystem. They have birds that are completely dependent on this habitat. Mm-hmm. They have animals that are completely dependent on this habitat. And the British came and they said, "We like the climate. It feels a bit like Scotland or something. Let's make it look a bit more like that. So we we'll plant some pines, some mm-hmm. water, some some random trees from their country, which mm-hmm. took over and completely removed that." but what tourists go there and do they go and look at this pine forest which shouldn't have been there mm-hmm. and they they don't see the beauty of this lake absolutely amazing stunning grassland that is that's now like reduced to small pockets in these protected areas okay uh, so what happens is the toda this toda story was really about how and the indian government sort of continued this practice you know they want to protect those plantations that the british left they mm-hmm. want to um, they they think that all grasslands any place which has just grass and no trees is a wasteland or mm-hmm. is a degraded forest and it should be planted up with something mm-hmm. they don't realize it's an ecosystem of its own merit mm-hmm. and so these these communities have a lot of knowledge of how this should be maintained how a grassland is maintained how the shola forest which is this tiny stunted like miniature rainforest Mm-hmm. This is there in one small portion of a grassland. Okay. It's it's this entirely unique net uh, ecosystem complex. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. there's a grassland and there's a tiny sanded rainforest, so the, which is called a shola. 
okay. people don't realize what these things are and these people have their own ideas of how these things should be done mm-hmm. but one because they haven't found a way to access the forest rights act they haven't found a way to ask for rights to land that they've traditionally managed and lived off mm-hmm. you know rights to the forest and grassland that they have lived on so they are not able to find a way to uh, like contribute and manage this area with okay. their traditional knowledge okay and the second thing is as with all other uh, tribal indigenous communities in the new way they're used as props both by general public and by the government so you see that if you go to Oti, you will find this like miniature recreated Toda village. They put mm-hmm. one of these typical Toda huts, you know, the circular mm-hmm. things. And there will be a person dressed in, a, in the costume, which is not how people live nowadays. They're all highly educated. They have, they wear, um, <laughs> they, they dress like everybody else and mm-hmm. all that. But, but but they're willing to fetishize these communities. They say, oh, this is an Ebola community. This is a Tota tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are tribes who live here and, mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. But what they're not willing to do is give them the space to speak up and say, this is how this landscape we have lived in for centuries should be managed. Mm-hmm. That they don't give them that space. Right. And that's what I learned. And that's what I, I keep learning over and over. People who have most depended on these natural resources Mm-hmm. who have most lived with them, used them, and still preserve them. Mm-hmm. They're never, they're used as props in a tourist um, setting yeah. or in a, you know, in a documentary or a film yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they never actually in a seat at the table and said, you tell us how to manage this. Mm-hmm. Or you have ownership of what you have uh, managed for so many years. So you have ownership right. of this land and you decide mm-hmm. how this should be done. That is never done, and uh, so do they now live in? Yeah. Do they now live in Uti, the city, or do they still live in? So it's a very small community now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they live mostly in Uti city, and uh, some some there are Toda villages all across the, the Uti larger Uti area. Okay. Um, and the high altitudes, there are mm-hmm. certain villages that you can go to. Certain settlements have been sort of demarcated as reserved for tourists. Mm-hmm. So what often happens is, uh, in some cases, they have these settlements that are just sort of at the base of like a grassland, not exactly where they used to be, okay. sort of at the base of a mountain or a hill okay. or whatever. Okay. Some people live in the proper cities, mm-hmm. but mostly it's dotted across the mountain range, the Nilgiri range. Okay. And they, they work in like typical things like tourism sector or um, some of them do, you know, they work with some local NGOs, some of them okay. teach. And I guess making Toda jewelry, right? That's what they're famous for. Yeah, they do stuff like that. Some people make the Toda shawls for sale and the jewelry and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the, the main industry in, in OT now is tourism. So most people work in some form or the other in the tourism thing. But they try to also form groups and advocate for their rights to manage their land and ecosystem in some way. Yeah. But that's nice that they're building so much awareness about their rights and uh, like having an opinion of what they want for their community. Yeah, I think it's not covered as much in the media. I think, I mean, they, of course, they have their own, they have an opinion on how things should be done in their own uh, life, in their own space. But it's not covered as much in that fashion in the media. It's generally, 
like I said, the same sort of fetishization is there. You know, you say the Toda drives, or uh, so immediately uh, what people generally do if you look at newspaper stories, they, they try to go during like some ceremony that is happening so they can catch them in their traditional dress okay. in front mm -hmm. of one of those traditional houses. They don't live in those houses anymore, they generally mm -hmm. live in normal concrete houses, but they have some of those typical Toda huts that are made for, uh, that are temples essentially. Mm -hmm. So they'll go to take those photos and say the todas are here and because of that. But but the other aspect of it asking them what they want or what yeah. they think should happen that line. That is not something that is covered as much, especially in I think the English media. It's mm -hmm. not a very common thing to to tell their to give their voice more space yeah. as such. As opposed mm -hmm. to just say, you know, document them in yeah. a funny dress mm -hmm. in quotes. But yeah, yeah. This, this fetishization reminds me of uh, like what I think twenty years back when we went to the Andamans. I remember that uh, there was this road through which the Jaruba tribe used to live. I don't know, it was yeah, called like plan. Andaman okay. Trunk Road or something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, at that time, so this practice I think has stopped now. But the time that we went, we were given this huge bunch of bananas that. As we went on the road, we were to give these Jarawa tribe people bananas when we met them on either side of the road. And it was so ridiculous. I mean, even then I remember thinking, wow, this is insulting. Like you can't treat them like they're some kind of animals or something. That road is still a major draw because of this. Tourists go on that. Actually, there are not too many things for tourists coming to Andamans to do in the North Andamans, which is what that road connects you to. Mm -hmm. There's not much for you to do as a tourist. Most of what tourism activities are located in South Andamans and Havelock Island. Mm -hmm. But people still go on that road with the explicit hope that they can at least see a Jarawa person. Yeah, and, and I remember like how this was put to us. Like there's this aggressive tribal who if you give a banana, they'll be pacified. It was, I mean, it was put to us like that. It was so ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. I remember there was this Jarawa tribal who had just killed a, bo a boar with an arrow or something. And then he wanted yeah. a lift in our car. And I, I don't remember yeah. exactly whether if we gave them gave him that lift. I think we might have. Probably not. It wouldn't have been allowed. But uh, even then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, overall, yeah, they were made to... Yeah. You were made to think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind kind of, of, and in animals, you can still see this. Non-human so almost. It was, it was quite, uh, I don't know, there was something very yeah. unethical about it. The other communities, the settler communities, basically, apart from the Jarawa, Zongis and Andamanese, mm -hmm. uh, and the Sentinelese and North Sentinel Island, everybody else is a settler there, right? right. They've either been settled because they're convicts from when the British had Kalapani, or the, the settlers uh, brought in by the Indian government, uh, mm -hmm. Bangladeshi refugees brought in, mm -hmm. then uh, Sri Lankan refugees brought in, then some um, fishing communities from Kerala migrated. Right. So there are these they're all settlers, and many settlers to this day will talk disparaging about um, Jarawas. They will say, mm -hmm. We should remove them from the forest. We should. Uh, and the BJP, I think uh, the MP from Andaman, who is I think from BJP now, uh, Andaman get, gets one MP. They get okay. one election only to vote for one MP. That's mm -hmm. it. The rest is managed by the, it's a union territory, right? Mm -hmm. So um, 
the bjp mp i think he openly campaigned and he said i am uh, voting uh, i'm if i'm voting i'm going to make sure all these junglies are removed from the forest mm -hmm. they are brought brought into civilization and then we can start developing this forest just the huge focus for all politicians or like in any kind of big money groups is that there is this whole forest sitting there mm -hmm. with great timber that can be logged and <clears throat> god knows what is space to then make luxury resorts and god knows what is mm -hmm. and uh, this this community of quote and quote junglies are in our way you mm -hmm. know pull them out civilize them which is why there's still a lot of blind eye turn to you know uh, the amount of contact people have them so everybody from people who live there for decades people who always live there local residents as well as forest departments there is a certain amount of fetishization if they happen to uh, if the forest department happens to rescue a local like uh, a jarwa youth they will try to take photos with them on their phone and mm -hmm. circulate it and look oh, okay. who i caught and that so mm -hmm. it's still a huge problem there so do you think it's yeah. better for the tribe to come out of the forest and like i don't want to complain with it's it's up to the tribe i think they are able to make their make up their mind maybe they think that they still want to be left alone if they do you to respect them maybe they think you know what we can't live in the forest anymore like we cannot be isolated anymore because there are too many people it's better for us to join the society which is like fraught with its own risks but if that's what they want then that's what you have to do but what you can't do is make the decision for them yeah if they want to interact you have to allow them to interact but provide them the medical and uh, physical safety to be able to do it mm -hmm. uh, because one of the biggest things is you can get things and measles from the general population right yeah um, so things are that they have to be inoculated in and but you cannot treat them as an endangered species that you protect regardless of whether they want to be protected or not yeah yeah nobody sees themselves that way i guess yeah. so you have to find a way to communicate and find out what they want they want more forest to be left alone leave it alone that means that road should not be there mm -hmm. that's the only way if you want to if they want to be integrated into society and they want to communicate with the outside world then you have to allow this it's very clear with the north sentinel the sentinel is driving north sentinel and they they shoot out arrows that's nicobar yeah Mm -hmm. Not in Nicobar. This is in uh, Andaman only, but North Andaman is this one island where there's one tribe. There's one okay. of the last completely uncontacted tribes. Okay. So the last, uh, the it was in the news. I think a year back when this one Christian missionary from the US, he got it in his head that I'm somehow going to make it to this island and and bring these guys uh, like bring Christianity into the world. <laughs> God of God, something idiotic like that. And yeah, I remember it was in the US shot. news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he got shot by, I mean, what killed by the arrows or something. So in this case, it's clear. Okay, what they want is fairly clear. You can do it, and it's an island, so it's a little easier. Mm -hmm. But in the Jarawas and the Ongi tribal Nikolans, you have to find ways to communicate. Part of the thing is local workers, even healthcare workers. Everybody treats them with. absolute disrespect you see this is the ongi mm -hmm. you know they're not in any forest they've all been rounded up put in like these settlement camps in mm -hmm. nilanandi another island of 
uh, South Animal. And uh, it's they, you cannot go there, no tourists can go there and all that, of course. And they are just treated like these animals who you have to care for. They do <laughs> absolute disrespect. <laughs> and uh, so the doctors come, they tell them what to do, they give them medicine, they give them food, they do whatever. They're not allowed to like earn their own living, make their own way in life, have their own life, have any kind of productive activity, nothing. They've okay. been brought out of the forest, so they're not allowed access to their forest really. Mm-hmm. And they're just kept there because, you know, their population has to be kept stable because that is the mark of success of the Indian government. Okay. So they can't come out of the settlement either? No, they can't. They can't come out oh, of the settlement. That's like a good camp. Okay. Yeah, in a sense. So you don't know, you don't know what uh, these communities want. They Maybe they don't want to be protected like an endangered species. What they yeah. want is to integrate. Maybe yeah. they do. Yeah. Find out. The one thing I would say is that any journalist, especially any environmental journalist, anybody working in this space, there, there has to be really a lot of self-awareness about how, how we talk to indigenous communities, how we talk to uh, people living and depending on uh, forests or natural resources of any sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tendency is to one, fetishize them too much and say there's this remote tribe with the great secret knowledge and the great uh, understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Or it is to go the other extreme and say these are uneducated people who don't know anything and we the educated people are uh, going to ask them questions in such a way that it shows how little they know. Mm-hmm. Neither of these yeah. people managing and depending on a resource know what's happening with that resource. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't mean that they necessarily uh, have a greater secret knowledge that say a scientist or a researcher doesn't all you do is treat them with respect asking what they think mm-hmm. of any situation any policy any anything happening in the world mm-hmm. a scientist comes and says you know fish is, if uh, sharks are dying because of overfishing mm-hmm. you go find out which regions are this scientist referring to you talk to the fisherman there and you say what do you think mm-hmm. do you notice that they and they may tell you that nothing is happening they may tell you yeah we have also noticed but what i've learned every time is that you know a scientist will say oh overfishing that's why mm-hmm. but why do you only say overfishing because if it's overfishing one this is what the government is incentivizing us to do mm-hmm. they are giving us cheaper subsidies uh, they're giving us cheaper fuel to go fish for certain things mm-hmm. so why is being put entirely on the fishing community and second it, are animals only affected by fishing they're mm-hmm. also affected by heavy amounts of industry pollution you see across our coast mm-hmm. so why is nobody asking us a question about why is nobody examining those things and it's true people don't examine even scientists it's much easier for you to uh, study fisheries mm-hmm. and say fishing is causing this or that in a sort of like in, in some sense but to say uh, examine what a series of chemical industries across the, the Tamil Nadu coast, what it's yeah. doing to mm-hmm. and what it's doing to uh, shark populations. For mm-hmm. So it's up to the reporter to bridge that gap by asking both both groups. You can't blindly take a scientist's word and you shouldn't blindly take a fisherman's word. Mm-hmm. 
because neither of them have the complete information. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's what I'm learning more as I do this. Thanks for listening.